You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 20. It's been a busy month, but I'm definitely going to finish this episode before this month's end. One thing that did happen this month is a speaking event that I had attended at the Melbourne AAPC local chapter of Florida. So I want to thank the officers for inviting me to their Space Coast May Mania event, where I spoke about clinical documentation improvement and also social media marketing and branding. And before I bring on today's guest, I want to welcome all the new listeners to this podcast. And I also want to introduce our partners. That includes the Haugen Group, RadRx, Project Resume, and the Coding Institute. For a list of our partners and their promotions, you can go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash partners or medicalcodinggeek.com slash promos to get a nice discount on some of their services. So today on the podcast, we have Kelly Estes. Kelly has been in the CDI industry for the past 13 years. But in today's podcast, we talk about her mission trip to Haiti. So without further ado, here is my delightful conversation with Kelly Estes. Enjoy. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You're ready. All right. So... Hello, Hello, everybody. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified. I have here with me, Kelly Estes. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you inviting me on your podcast. It's always uh, so fun to chat with people and share exciting things going on. Well, you know, it's it's great to have you on because one uh, one thing that I've noticed is that you've had a recent trip, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but most definitely one thing. Uh, that we have connected with is, of course, Dr. Limhoko. <laughs> I always bring up his name. Oh my because, goodness! <laughs> I always bring up his name because, yeah, because when I started, I asked him, and then I asked him, okay, can you at least give me two people? And he gave oh. me um, Chuck Buck. He gave me uh, Dr. Govender, and he says, you know what? How about Kelly? I'm like, oh, like okay. Says, yeah, I already invited her, by the way. <laughs> oh well, yeah. I think he, I think he kind of likes this podcasting thing. Yeah, no. Uh, it's funny because he, when I, when his episode came out, he, I made sure that he listened to it, and he says, okay. Uh, can you cut this out? Can he? <laughs> he was making his own edits. Uh, he was, you know, <laughs> like it's different when you, when you, when you do a webinar. But it's different when you do a podcast because then you listen to it. You're able to listen to it and you're like, oh, that's how I sound and or that's how I speak. And this happened to me when I first listened to myself. I'm like, it seems like I'm rambling, rambling, rambling on. I need to slow down on how I speak. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are the things that you pick up on. I think Dr. Limoko picked up on that. And um, so he connected me to you, and I rec- we recently connected on Facebook, and I noted that you went on a trip. And so I'm like, well, uh, I might as well have her on. I know you have a background in CDI and nursing, but not so much. We're, we're not going to talk too much about that. But I think more uh, things extracurricular that you can do 
that helps out the community uh, or any community in the global sense uh, that you can do to help out other people. But also, I wanted to have you talk about how it affected you. Uh, so we'll get into that. But before we get started, uh, I'm sure because this is a podcast for the uh, medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm sure they want to know. Okay, well, what's who's Kelly Estes? Where did she come from? What does she do in terms of the industry? So let's start off from the beginning, I guess. Where did you come from, and how did you come today in terms of your career? Okay, well, I graduated from nursing school in 1993, and I don't know how that is possible because <laughs> I feel like that it. I feel like that I should have only been a nurse for like five years. What, nearly 25 years, I guess, close to it now. Um, but I went. Um, I went to a college here in Kentucky, and I was just sure that I was going to do bedside nursing, and that I was happy at bedside nursing. I was taking care of patients on a med search floor, and. Um, kind of got interested when I started to grow my family in a more of a Monday through Friday job and I, I tested the waters in home health and enjoyed that quite a lot and um, anyway I wanted uh, to finally I think I missed the hospital really so I got back to the hospital went back to med search and um, there was a posting eventually for this position for a documentation improvement specialist and, what, and you, so what year would that, be? Um, that would have been in 2000 I believe it was and so I read the job description. And I'm like, well, what in the world? And nobody in the in the building really knew much about it. And so it was being posted through the medical records department. And um, one of the case managers came to me and she said, you know, you were mentioning um, maybe wanting to get on a Monday through Friday job here inside the hospital, um, that you enjoyed that schedule in home health. But now that you're in the hospital, you may want to explore that. So I applied for the job and, and of course, got the job and, and, and totally went through, you know, the ground floor training and uh, worked as a, as a CDI specialist in our hospital for about three and a half years. And so we were, um, you know, it was just a, it was a new program. And so I, I was good at it. I liked it. My personality was uh, suitable for the job. I was able to communicate with the doctors well and they liked me. And, and so it was just a good fit. And, um, like all small hospitals, you usually get um, the luxury of adding additional little tasks to your job description over time because once you become astute at one thing, they'll think, you know what, you've got an extra couple of hours, you're already in the chart, you can do this. So it just became burdensome to where I felt like I was getting a lot of additional little things added on. And I, I was just becoming less satisfied in what I was supposed to be doing every day as far as from, from a responsibility standpoint. And I made the decision. I thought, you know what, that's probably not going to change. I'm either going to have to accept that this is the way it is and find some contentment here, or I'm going to have to explore other options. And so at that time, I, I actually took a totally different job. Um, and left the hospital and thought I had made the most great move and it turned out the job that I took was just oh I was miserable and that was the first time in my life it was like goodness gracious you know I, I was so happy initially with this documentation improvement job and then for it to kind of deteriorate to a place that I was so unhappy I wanted to figure out a way to get back into documentation improvement and to be really honest, I started to just pray about what, you know, what has this come to? Because, you know, I just couldn't believe that I had this training and that I couldn't 
find some way to use it in a meaningful way. And so um, I actually went back working at the bedside um, again. And while I was praying through, you know, this process and looking online for opportunities, I was able to then connect with Dr. Bob Gold. And uh, he and I spoke and uh, initially, and he wanted to know my background in CDI. And as I told him what that was, he said, you know, I don't have anything really that I can use you for right this minute. But he said, I've got a few things in the pipe that I may be able to use you in the near future. And he said, would you be interested? And I said, well, I certainly would be willing to entertain a conversation. And so um, he told me he would be in touch. We hung up. I didn't hear another word from him for like three months. (laughs) So I just just accepted that, okay. And so um, out of the blue one day, he called me and he said, you know what? I have this hospital. Um, in the Northeast, and I would love for you to um, to go work for them. And so, long story short, that was kind of the beginning of my journey um, with being mentored um, by Dr. Robert Gold um, at DCDA. And so, uh, as many listeners may well know, he passed away in 2016 of May, um, and uh, it was a great loss. And so, I knew at that time I was going to be uh, looking for potential opportunities. So I've spent the last uh, over, well, 12 years, I guess, in consulting. Wow. Um, I grew in, I grew with that company um, and have met so many people across the country. Um, I joined the ACTUS organization at the ground floor. I was in the first group to take the CCDS exam. Mm-hmm. We were the ones that actually took it on the pencil and paper, bubbling in the answers oh, before they went to computers. So I was kind of a, a, I'm a I like to think of it as kind of as a fossil uh, when it all began. <laughs> and uh, so I've, I've lived through a great deal of, of changes and, and grown a lot. And Lord, I'm still growing. I mean, there's just things that you learn um, all the time um, because it just changes at such a fast pace. So I've spoken at the ACTUS conference twice. Uh, Dr. Lim Hoko and I both uh, co-presented in 2015 in San Antonio, and then we also presented this past May in uh, Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So um, we've we've um, done quite a bit together, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when he recommended when he recommended me to you, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh well, of course she has to be on, but I guess <laughs> Dr. Lamoco has to be. The guy to put you on. Um, there's a couple. Oh, my goodness. So you went through a, lo- a very nice timeline here, and I actually wrote it down. And I do have a few questions within your timeline. So so you done nursing. You did it for at least how many years? Mm, before I switched to um, CDI. Uh, documentation improvement. Uh-huh. I was in nursing for probably, gosh, I lose track, at least 10 years because I continued to work in a nursing capacity uh, at the bedside. Even when I began my journey with consulting, I was a contract employee initially. And so in order to feed my family, I had to have several balls in the air at one time to make things work out financially. So I would do contract work, and then I would also have PRN work lined up at the hospital. So I a good 10 years of, of bedside. So when you transition to CDI, and the reason why I'm asking this, because there are some registered nurses who would most likely like to get into CDI and want to get a sense, okay, what is that transition like? 
you know, when they get in, uh, what can they expect? What kind of training uh, or a new mindset that they need to introduce on, term, on top of what they learned in nursing? Okay, well, that's a good question. Uh, when I began the journey, um, I was, well, I come from a med surge background. I had never worked in the intensive care unit myself. Now, I had floated to the extra set of hands in those units, but there's quite quite a difference in, in being full-time in those areas, as you well know. And so whenever um, I, take, I took the job as a documentation specialist, yes, I was a nurse, and yes, I had nursing background in, in providing care for patients and so on and so forth. But what I've learned and what I've noticed in the last, let's just say, five or six years especially, um, the critical thinking and the assessment skills that are needed in the chart are significantly more demanding, I believe. I feel like we're having to look at the charts from a completely different standpoint than we used to 15 years ago. And I, and I would attribute that to... Uh, there are so many people with watchful eyes in the medical record, uh, your RAC auditors, your third party, it, it, whoever, you know, is laying eyes on those records. You've got to make sure that you have your eyes dotted and your T's crossed. And, you know, I want to just put a disclaimer out there. I certainly don't want to come across as I'm being negative for the RACs because I actually have, have a different perspective on the RACs. Yes, I'm sure there are people that the RACs give them fits, no question about it. And I feel like there's some hospitals that feel like, oh, we have to code our records for the RACs so that we don't have to fight this on the back end. And there is some some logic to that thought process, but I also have looked at enough records to where I've seen hospitals send charts through that truly were not clinically supported. And clinical validation is probably the hot-button topic right now, has been over the last couple of years. And I think that we are in a season to where we cannot afford to let this continue in the manner that it has. And I believe that also brings uh, forward um, the, the validation for why you need a clinical uh, physician liaison or a physician champion, as we call it, in your facility. And you need someone... You need someone who is not just in that position in name only, and I'll just go ahead and say that. I say that for a reason. That happens all the time. I go into hospitals, and they'll we'll say, who's your physician leader? Who's your CDI champion? And they'll say, well, it's Dr. So-and-so. But, you know, we don't get him, but just a few hours here and there. or He'll just look at charts when we really, really, really need him to. And that's not truly what the design for a physician champion is. And so we have to, I feel like we cannot uh, stress enough to the C-suites in these hospitals of how they need to make arrangements to involve physician leaders in such a way, if it's, if it's financial compensation, if it, whatever that looks like, to be able to select a candidate who has a vested interest in the documentation improvement for uh, the sake of capturing what is truly wrong with the patients. And, and to quote Dr. Limhoko, he, he hashtag clinical truth, ha-ha. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I really think that that is the difference. When, when I think about nurses who are going to come into this new and to do this job, your critical thinking skills, are really a must and and you know I look back I have had the good fortune of working with physicians so that is also I think been my saving grace when I look at charts now because I have literally spent a decade 
more or less hip to hip with a physician, whether it be Dr. Limhoko, whether it be Dr. Gold, whether it be Dr. Catalano, Dr. Schulte, whoever these physicians I've had the, had the opportunity to work with, I've learned to look and think and talk a lot like they are looking, thinking, and talking. And so when you are being hired by a hospital to come into a CDI role, you honestly are not coming with that with that benefit oftentimes. So that's why we recommend making sure your nurses are folks that have um, a lot of times critical critical thinking skills. Now I will go ahead and say this. I know recently you put you did a podcast where HIM professionals stepping into the CDI role. I absolutely one hundred percent think that is a must on any good on any good well rounded CDI team, I feel like you need to have people involved in that team who are also coding uh, professionals because it has evolved into so much more. You need their input and their different slant and their different perspective to come together and be cohesive with your CDI folks. And that way you have a, a team that is coming at this in such a way that you are capturing everything that is needed so that it will sustain, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, it, makes, it makes sense because I myself am a CDI but without an RN. And in most cases, when I came in, I had no clinical background. So, of course, I had to fill in that gap. But for nurses that come on in, they don't have the gap in sense of, okay, they can, they can review the chart, then what? You know, what happens? What, how do you classify that? How do you uh, categorize that? And then I think also from there, you have to understand what happens when you assign this and what happens afterwards. So you're tossing in the term revenue cycle. So they have to understand that as well. So it's a full spectrum. Once you get into a CDI, it's not just from a nursing perspective where you provide the care, patients discharge, that's it. You may do a follow-up on the care, but for a CDI professional, and even from HIM perspective, we have to look at it from the time that they come in and from the time that they get discharged and then from the time it gets on a bill. And then from there, when it when it sends over to a claim and then when it comes back so we 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 are constantly touching the chart no matter what and that's what a cdi you know in terms of a scope you know you need to have that and so you know for me i mean i'm always an advocate for him and also as well rns because i had i had to learn from an rn i had to learn from physicians just the having that cohesive diverse type of um, team is most definitely important in a cdi program Absolutely. You mentioned also clinical validation. So, you know, especially mm-hmm. with CDIs, uh, what I have noticed, and I've mentioned this before in previous podcasts, is, you know, you have this idea of a full pendulum swing. We used to go one direction trying to say, hey, uh, you didn't document this. Can you document this? And now we've trained physicians to document everything. And then you mentioned them, but there's no clinical support. So now there's the missing piece. We have the documentation, but not the clinical support. But now... Uh, especially with these rack audits, and I've mentioned this before, is the fact that we need to have them complete their documentation, not just from a from a diagnosis standpoint, but also why are they doing it? Where's the medical necessity in it? What are they treating? You know, what are they doing for it? Where's the labs? And it all has to be fully clinical supported, especially with things like sepsis, acute renal failure. Uh, those are things that we definitely have to be looking at. So you you were you did nursing, and I guess I was going back to my point. You did nursing. You went to CDI, but then you left bedside. Why was that? Was there something more specific? You said that you were adding on more stuff to it. 
uh, like was it more like adding duties to what you were currently doing at the CDI? Was it getting it too much? My, I had a well when I left the bedside, I have uh, a little girl. I just had a baby, and so she was, um, you know, being a new mom. I was just uh, exhausted, and twelve-hour shifts turn into fourteen-hour shifts. And, of course, every other weekend, and there was just, a t- I was just in a place in my life to where I was ready for a different schedule, to be quite honest. And so, in an effort to grab a hold of another opportunity that I was going to be fulfilled, but at the same time be able to have that better schedule. And so, in that journey of trying to find that niche, it took a few different job moves, but I finally then found this opportunity in CDI. And so once I plugged into CDI, it was like, oh, okay, this is pretty interesting. And then it kind of the challenge of getting in those charts at on where you're just really combing those charts to try to piece together the picture and what makes sense and where could this go and having an understanding of really the, the, the working parts behind documentation improvement and the final outcome. It was just a neat learning curve that, that just uh, was an open door um, that is still very much opportunity today. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, there was there was no other motivation really to leave the bedside other than honestly just I wanted a better schedule, to be truthful. But I, my, I guess what I was really asking is you went from CDI back to bedside. Why did you do that? Well, because... I live in a small area in Kentucky, and so there's not a hospital on every corner. We don't have, unless I unless I want to drive to a city, which is going to be a minimal drive of an hour, um, for for other opportunities. I was very restrained in what I was going to have available to me, and that was very frustrating because I left my job thinking that I was make. Well, I actually took a job that had better benefits, it had better pay. And I still had my good schedule. And I was just sure that that was going to be a job that I would love. And um, it turned out that it wasn't. And I was there about six months, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I've accepted this new job. And now I'm – and another thing is I was driving an hour to that new job. But I had gotten so unhappy in my other job that I thought, well, the, the drive will be worth it. Well, then it wasn't so much worth it. So I chose then because I thought I have to work and I don't really know where I'm going from here. I made the choice to go back to the bedside at that point. And so when I went back to the bedside, I'm sorry. No, especially because it's the, the CDI industry was so early on. There weren't so many CDI programs out there. No. Oh, no, 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 no. It was, in fact, no. There was, they were available in bigger places. Mm-hmm. And some of the hospitals, like my little hospital, were coming on. But, you know, it was not um, the norm in every hospital. Right. And so I was just trying to figure out how I can use this education um, while I worked at the bedside per diem. Um, because I had to still earn a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And so that's at that time I said, yeah, I think I told you I was praying for opportunities. Yes. And mm-hmm. that's when I met Dr. Gold. So let's yeah. go into that. How did you meet Dr. Robert Gold? Well, I literally emailed a nurse. Mm-hmm. I was online mm-hmm. looking for HIM, CDI, just random searches. Mm-hmm. And of course, searching the internet in 2004 <laughs> was a little bit different yes, <laughs> than searching it now. So you have to kind of go back with me to think about that. Yeah. And I had been, as I, as I said, you know, I was really, really praying very specifically 
and mm-hmm. I, I found this um, nurse that had a website, and she actually was from Kentucky mm-hmm. and had gone to school at a college here in Kentucky, so mm-hmm. I felt like I had some sense of familiarity to her, and I emailed her just out of the blue. I emailed her, told her who that my name, what my name was, and why I was reaching out to her, and I told her that, you know, I just kind of felt a kinship to her because she had gone to school in Kentucky and had been from here, and although she was in Texas at the time, she had went into business doing her own consulting work for herself, and so she emailed me back immediately from the time I emailed her and said, can I please call you, and she did, and uh, we we talked, and she wanted to know if she could give my name to a friend of hers. She didn't say who this friend was, but she thought she had some opportunity, maybe. So I give her permission to give my number to her friend, mm-hmm. and I got a phone call at 8 o'clock the next morning, and that phone call came from Dr. Robert Gold. <laughs> so that's how that happened. Oh, that's nice. And then Kind of the, crazy. The, the, re- the, the, the rest is history, right? So. The rest is history, yes. So I believe, you know, I don't know. I just, it all kind of lined up. Yeah. I really you don't have to give credit to God just answering my prayer. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. It all lined up in the end. That's great. So yep. let's talk about your your trip. So you recently took a trip to Haiti uh, most recently. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about your recent trip, mission trip, right? It was a mission trip, yes. We went to, um, we flew into Port-au-Prince, and then we drove about an hour or so, um, I guess it would be east when I think about it, um, to Carrie's Haiti is what it's, I think the little town is. It's on Calico Beach, and so it overlooks the water. There's a mission house there that is owned and operated by an organization called Disciples Village, and the founder is Bill Howard, and he is from South Carolina. And he started the ministry um, after or around about the time the 2010 earthquake hit Port-au-Prince. And so um, he has been over there um, basically making connections and building relationships and has a home and has grown that ministry in the last seven years just by leaps and bounds. It's it's actually just amazing to hear the whole story. But we, um, my husband was invited to go last July. Before you continue, sorry, what was the the person's name, sorry? Bill Howard is the founder. Got it. Okay, Mm -hmm. continue, sorry. Okay. And my husband was invited to go to uh, the Disciples Village ministry house which is the york house um last july and serve um during the week that they had scheduled to have a pastor's conference and there was a pat my husband's a pastor and so he um had a friend of his that was supposed to be scheduled to go serve and the gentleman became ill about a week before he was going to be able to go And so he knew that my husband and I had gone to serve in Honduras on medical missions before, and he so he knew he had a passport, and he wanted to know if he could go on short notice. And uh, anyway, long story short, he agreed to go. And while he was over there, um, I actually traveled for work that week as well. And um, interestingly enough, while I was traveling for work, I ended up through the uh, lovely travel woes that you often get 
um, I was delayed and, and canceled flights, and they offered you vouchers and all that fun stuff. And I flew uh, to uh, wherever, whatever city I was going to and back. And I, I, when I got home, I had actually gotten $700 worth of free vouchers oh, from wow. Delta that week. Oh, Delta. And so, <laughs> I, yeah. So, I, so thank you, Delta. Another story. So, <laughs> so that's a whole other story. Yes, but is. anyway, so when, so when my husband messaged me from Haiti, after he arrived over there, he said to me, they're having a pastor's wives conference in October and they need other women to come serve. Can you, would you want to come? And I said, well, I think I would because I already have enough Delta vouchers to buy my tickets. <laughs> and so he said, well, it sounds like God's worked that out. And I said, he sure does. So that was my first time to go to Haiti was in October of 2016. And through that experience, I was able to serve alongside six other ladies. Um, and we um, put on their first ever pastor's wives conference. And so we spent about three days uh, with them. And when I was over there meeting the, the founder of the, of the Disciples Village Ministry and being able to go out in the villages, and, and just get an exposure to the need there. Um, that was kind of the start for my husband and I both uh, to come home and really pray about leading a team to go back. And so when we went this past July, we started out, gonna we were going to take 16 people that we had volunteer. And by the time we went through the process of getting everybody ready, uh, we were only able, there was nine people that committed and actually went. So we had nine people that traveled over there um, this past July. Uh, four of them stayed two weeks, and the other five only stayed a week. So during the week that all nine of us were together, we actually had uh, made arrangements to partner with a particular village over there that um, has started a feeding program and an education program. And the plan is, is to get sponsorships for the children uh, in this particular village so that they can ensure an education. And then while they are at school, this also ensures that they get at least one hot meal during the day at school. And so what that equates to is about $40 a month for their education per child and $40 a month for the feeding program per child. So for $80 a month, you educate and feed a child in that village. And we were, our goal was to try to get sponsorships for around 100 kids. And so we had met the goal for their education had been covered. And we had sponsorships in place. And we already, I don't even know at this moment how many sponsorships we have for the, for the children in the feeding program. But, but we have several that are already sponsored. Still need sponsors, but, but we, we're, we're making headway. And so we went over and were able to meet these children. We were able to, to serve alongside uh, with their families. Um, and so we prepared before we went uh, to host a Bible school for about 150 children. Wow. That's how many they've told us to prepare for. Wow. We did this, I know, Monday through Thursday was um, we had full, about four hours set aside for Bible school. And mm -hmm. the first day we showed up, there was probably more like 170 or 180 kids. Wow. So we had to kind of pull back, regroup, and figure out how we were going to make our supplies work out for that number, and it, it all worked out. But that's exactly the kind of, they hear you're coming, and they yeah. want to, everybody, you know, they want to come see what's being offered and, and whatnot. So 
that was what we did for the children. And then we also did women's ministry. And so the way we managed that is we told the, the community, um, we had sent word ahead to plan on having 30 women come for Monday and Tuesday and then have 30 different women come Wednesday, Thursday. And we had different activities and different ways that we could love on them and to provide gifts for them and uh, spent Monday through Thursday in the morning time for about three hours serving this group of women in this way. And so then while the women were doing this type of ministry work, the guys that were on our trip actually built um, a bathroom with three outdoor toilets um, with a like a like a block building with a metal roof and doors that they could actually lock during certain hours and just sits adjacent to where their school is. So they didn't have any way for the children. I mean, there was no bathrooms out there at all. So this is a major gift to this community. And um, so we got a lot of things finished in the short amount of time that we were there. And that was a week, um, right? With the, in, this was a week. This mm-hmm. all went down, yes, in one week. And mm-hmm. so we... Um, we're able to uh, build relationships with um, the pastor in this village, mm-hmm. the pastor's wife, the different women that are plugged into this particular church that are trying to make sure that their children are provided for as best they can. Mm-hmm. And so um, we uh, have a plan to go back in July of 2018. Oh, the date's nice. already been set. So we um, are starting to... Uh, pool together the the people and the resources that are going to be needed i think the plan that i've, I've been told here lately which is exciting um, the plan is to try to build them a brand new church slash school which okay. would hopefully be finished by next summer okay and then the next phase of that would be is to be able to build a new home for the pastors the pastor and his wife and his family uh, because his living conditions at this point are just, they're just, it's just not good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, there's poverty everywhere mm-hmm. in the world, and there's poverty here in the United States. Um, but I think you just have to decide where God leads you, and, yes. and there's a reason you're being led to different places at different times. And I think, uh, you know, you just have to listen to that calling. And, and we've all, I think, honestly, there's just serving other people in, in a way that they can't pay you back is just very, I think it's in all of our hearts, whether we tap into it or not. Mm-hmm. I think it's in there. <laughs> a bit of humanity, it's right? A, it's just, yeah, yeah. I think God just creates us that way. He just puts that in us. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And not, not everyone, you know, pays attention to that, but I think there's, there's potential to, for sure. And I feel like, you know, the, the impact that not only that you are making on the people, you're gleaning so much impact from it that you don't even realize the mm. things that you're exposed to and the things that you see really puts puts life in general in perspective. The, you know, I say when I come home, honestly, the places that we visited on mission trips, they could live on our trash. Mm-hmm. The things that that we throw away in this country, they could live on. So you and you, so so how long have you have have you been doing mission trips? Oh, goodness. Let's see. I guess I went to Honduras in um, 2014, maybe. Okay. I forget. I went on two of those. March. It was March is when they scheduled. And and so we did that twice. And then... Um, and was this the, part of the it, same, same a, church? 
Um, or is it's different act- organization. It's not just no. It's well, no. It's a totally BMDMI is the is the organization that we went on the medical mission trips mm-hmm, with. Okay. And honestly, the exposure we had local missionaries here from Kentucky that were um, were living there, serving with BMDMI, mm-hmm. and so people in the medical community here in this tri county area kind of joined forces and put together a team of about 50. And the interesting thing about that, my first mission trip, I was able to go serve with a couple of surgeons that I worked with right out of nursing school. So, and a lot, and so it was like a reunion of sorts. We were able to, to go and serve um, as a collective group of medical professionals in a country, but to have a week to really spend catching up with those guys. And, and then a lot of the nursing staff that went with us were nurses that I worked with on night shift when I got out of school. Mm -hmm. So it was a really, really fun first mission trip for me because it was just, um, you know, not only were you doing a great thing in another country, but we also got to serve beside each other, which was really a gift. Okay. So like it's pretty much not new to you. So you were like kind of a little bit of a veteran in doing mission trips. So it wasn't like a totally new thing when you when you started doing uh, working with Haiti. No, Haiti. I think Honduras kind of broke me in um, to what the possibilities were. Haiti. I don't want to minimize anybody's no. uh, need because honestly, poverty. I mean, poverty. Like I said, is everywhere. Yeah. But when you try to compare, like when I go to Honduras, it looks like in the particular area that I was in. Mm-hmm. There are resources and people that have been placed there that have done a lot of great work over the last few years. And mm-hmm. so I was able to see some tangible difference, mm-hmm. although the need's still great. But then when I went to Haiti, I was like, oh, my goodness, we're kind of we're entering into more of a getting started. This ministry that's here is trying to get started and gain right. some traction. I'm doing mm-hmm. good in these villages. And I just could see where there was a greater need at that time mm. to maybe pour our time and effort and resources into Haiti at that, you know. And so I think that's how we got, personally, our family got shifted and pulled in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where we've landed until God leads otherwise. Aside from uh, God leading you uh, to doing it, why do you do mission trips? Tough question, right? <laughs> well, okay. I think I, I, I can answer that. Because the reason, the reason why I'm asking this is because maybe, especially for those that are listening, you know, um, they 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 might want to do this, you know, um, they, but they don't know what to expect. Or what is the, you know, especially in today's society, everybody's so busy and doing many things. So to do a mission trip, has to take a guttural, you know, like something deep inside for you to to make that decision. And um, I know God is part of it. But, you know, if he made that decision to you, but then, of course, the other half is making you click, you know, to make to act on it. To say if he's telling you, OK, you, you should be doing this. But then inside the other half is like, click. OK, I'm going to do it. What, so that, I guess what was that clicking factor or what, what was the switch that made you decide to do the, I guess, any mission trip? Well, you know what? I think, you know, we're curious people, too. I think, you know, I'd had so many friends that Mm -hmm. had gone on mission trips, Mm -hmm. okay? And so they come home and they share their experiences. And you would try your best to get your head around their excitement and their enthusiasm and their passion. But I think it's like anything. Until you experience something for yourself, there's just no possible way to get in the moment with that. 
um, because even now when I come home and I try to share the pictures or tell the stories, I realize and I recognize that there's no way for me to impart the heavy weight that I experienced. I can do my best and I can try, but honestly, until you go walk in the dirt and taste the dust for yourself and rub elbows and see the need, you're not going to be able to fully appreciate what the, what it is. And so I guess someone who's never been, you hear the stories and you see the enthusiasm and it, cre- it creates a sense of curiosity in you. And as I said, I think we all have a desire to serve others in some way. We may not always act on it, but I think honestly, if it's in humanity, if someone is right in front of us and you have a need that's made known to you, I really feel like there's very few people. I mean, there's evil in the world. We know that. But I feel like there's very few people that would just blatantly to me that is right smack dab in their face. And so with that said, I feel like we are all drawn to serve and make a difference in the world. And, you know, sometimes people wrestle with, why am I here? What is my purpose? You know, I do want more. I am not completely satisfied. And with that, I think sometimes comes a sense of curiosity. And, you know... Maybe that's God giving us a sense of curiosity. Maybe just in and of itself, we would never have the boldness to say, you know what, I'll go. I think different things may happen along the way that, uh, like I said, make us curious. Or it may be a picture or a story or whatever that is that sparks that, coupled with the fact that I think it's in us to want to serve and make a difference in some way. And then there's always the exciting factor of, oh, it'd be fun to go out of the country and see parts of the world that you've never seen and experience food that you've never eaten or whatever that might be. You know, I think the motivations may be multifaceted for many different people. And whatever that is that gets you to that place, I still go back. You may not see it or recognize it as the hand of God, but it is. Yeah. And And I think, you know, it may not be, it may not be the driving force of why you think you made the decision to go <laughs> but i think i think honestly you know it i don't know i mean I, th- I was curious when i would have my veterinarian would come to the house um to vaccinate we raised golden doodle puppies for, for um well for fun and we sell them of course but it is fun <laughs> we enjoy it so um it's kind of like a hobby job and so she comes to um right vaccinate my litter of pups and she was talking about having gone to uh, honduras and how there was trip going to go about nine or ten months out. So it was enough in advance that I thought, hmm, I've got enough fair warning here. It got my wheels turning. Because every time a friend of mine or someone I known was going on a trip, they would talk about how they were going in six weeks or two months or whatever. And, of course, that timeline is too quick to make a decision to get involved and go. You have to kind of make plans. And so I knew when she mentioned the trip to me and it was nine months away, she said, you should go. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? I'm really going to think about that. And so it gave, it kind of got the wheels turning. And I think that's just how it happens. I think maybe I've always had an idea that I might go, but I never, the timing just never was right. And I participated in maybe making donations or spreading the word to help collect. Uh, supplies for other teams but I had never been the one in a position to go myself and so that was really what began the the thought process was when the veterinarian just said you know you should go and I'm like I'm going to think about that and I started talking to my husband about it and we just both agreed that you know what let's go 
and uh, they asked him to be the team pastor that first trip we went on. They didn't have a pastor to go serve in that capacity, and so he actually uh, led our team of 50 in um, evening services and devotions, and uh, we actually had a baptism service while we were at the first mission trip. That was amazing. Um, They baptized a young man, and you're going to laugh at this, in a dumpster cart. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they Clorox. They Clorox. Okay, good. That's what I was going to ask. They did do that. Okay, good. Okay, at least that. They literally wrapped the dumpster cart in Mm. a white sheet Mm. to give it a a more, you know, visual appealing Mm. appearance and then filled it up with clean water. Mm -hmm. And this young man was baptized. He wanted to be baptized that day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so it was kind of amazing. Whatever works, you know, whatever works as long as the purpose is there. You know, that's right. Uh, so I see a trend, yep. Kelly. I see a trend in you is the fact that you have curiosity. So did curiosity what? do? Uh, <laughs> did, was curiosity the reason why you went from nursing to CDI? Yeah, well, it could have been. I mean, you know, maybe. It, I mean, maybe it, there it was sounds some... like a, to me it's like a trend. Like somebody, it's like somebody. Uh, of course, there's, you know, somebody implanted a person to tell you about something and then you get curious I'm like, OK, and then you dwell on it and then you you jump right in. I think that's the key. Yeah, I've never been afraid to try new, th- new things. That's one thing. And I, and I remember even as a kid, I would always ask a lot of questions. I was always curious. I would interview people with lots and lots and lots of questions. And so that's kind of part and parcel, I think, to who I am in general. And so... Um, yeah, when it was time, I was never afraid to make career moves early on, I think, because I was trying to find my niche to get settled. Now, I think you can look back at my employment history once I got settled. I mean, like I said, I spent 12 years in the same place. So I don't think it's really in my nature to want to do a lot of jumping around. But early on, trying to find my little place that I fit, um, I was bold and, and, and fearless, if you will, to try to try new things because I was just... I was just curious enough to to get in there and explore things. I, I think my point is, especially for those that are listening, I guess, you know, if you want to do something, if you, you know, if you're wanting to go into medical coding, get curious. You know, if you want to go into CD high, get curious. If you want to get into data analytics, if you want to go into, you know, healthcare security, healthcare management or something, even mission trips, um, you know, extracurricular things that may, you know, help you and help others serve others. I think you should do it. It's just a matter of sparking that curiosity. But I think most importantly, acting on it, you know, like asking the right questions, building that sense of, um, you know, understanding what you're going into. But of course, there's some form of like, okay, I don't know the unknown. But then even so, I think it's a matter of taking some somewhat of a risk and just doing it. Absolutely. I mean, when I went to work in consulting, I really didn't know I was signing up for consulting, to Mm -hmm. be real honest with you. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I was signing up for a new opportunity with CDI. And I was I was going to get on an airplane, I was going to fly to a strange hospital, and I was going to embrace the work that had been given to me. Now, that sounds like a tall order, and it was looking back, but you know what? I think I was just, I don't know, I just was so desperate to find what was going to make me happy and fulfilled. If I'm going to have to work, you want to be somewhat happy and fulfilled while you're doing that work. And I, I honestly knew that I had been good at my job 
in that in the hospital that, that I started in, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think each little thing that you take a risk, I had no idea how that was going to turn out. You know, I had no idea, but I would have lived it with regret had I been afraid to just step out in the water and do it. And so, and so that was the start of a very uh, a very good opportunity. And, uh, you know, life is still throwing challenges and opportunities at me. I mean, I think as long as we're alive on this planet, <laughs> I think you're going to find yourself in, in situations to where new opportunities are going to come. And oftentimes those new opportunities, well, they most of the time come with a new set of challenges. And those challenges can either be for your good or they can shut you down. It depends on how you look at the challenges, you know, and right now, you know, I've had to kind of go back and revisit that myself because you get comfortable over the years in a position. And so transition comes through, you know, life, life ends with one gentleman, just like I mentioned, Dr. Gold passed away and it put me in a new place of saying, Oh my goodness, what's the future look like? And so I'm still in consulting, but it looks different now. And so, um, it's just, um, the interesting thing about tying my, my, work in consulting with CDI into what I've been doing with Haiti and the mission work, the interesting piece to that is, and that's what I, that's really very unique kind of to look back on. I have gained so much experience and I guess grown, not only professionally, but personally grown in ways that, that you could never uh, really imagine. It just kind of happens over time. It gives you the ability to then again, step in and lead um, in the capacity of other things, and, and that being for me, putting together this this group, going on this mission trip, and we have another nonprofit ministry here locally, the Archery Ministry, and that's a whole other podcast. But there's a lot of things that I have stepped into um, and been and, and assumed leadership type roles, and I have to attribute that it comes kind of naturally now, based on the experiences and the growth that I've experienced over the last 12 years professionally. So it kind of starts to spill over into the areas that you find you're like ultra passionate about. And so what that means for the next 20 years of my life, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I feel sure that all of it will work together to lead me continually in this path, which is kind of cool. And so I think to the listeners, you know, if you're on the fence to where you're finding yourself I don't know, dissatisfied, in a, in a rut or whatever, and you may be entertained um, a new uh, professional avenue, you're not going to know until you do some things that's going to allow you to have exposure. You know, I have people all the time, oh, it sounds like you have the coolest job. What can I do to get you all hire? You know, everybody's <laughs> always wanting to stop when they they see, they see what it looks like from their vantage point, which is a very, very limited view. Yes. And it looks all, you know, they're, they're seeing the, the Facebook facade, if you will. And so, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears underneath all that, I, I promise. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's with anything. That's with anything. There's blood, sweat, and tears behind any anything that that people get to look at and think, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And it is amazing, but, but it didn't just happen overnight. And so um, you have to really, you know, put the put the work in and, uh, and to get there. And um, it's it's not easy, but it but it, it is rewarding. And uh, it does take some risk risk taking for sure. I, 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 you, 
I can relate because, you know, I'm doing something, especially with this podcast. I'm, I've never done this before, you know, but but the stuff that I've done before, you know, in CDI, in management and even in college, um, you know, kind of made itself together to create it. Like I've, you know, the speaking uh, things I've done that teaching. I've done that. I've dabbled with some audio editing. I've done that. So all of the skills that you pick up, not necessarily from school, but even from experiences, mission trips, uh, activities, doing shows, uh, you know, meeting other people, doing certain projects, they all come together at some point. And, uh, you know, even with this podcast, I don't even know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm just finding people, you know, talking to them. And then for me, this podcast is a, to me, it's my curiosity. You know, it's like, okay, well, I want to know more about you, but are you going to, are you going to tell me? And and most people are like, yeah, I would rather, I would love to tell you everything about, uh, or even ask any, answer any questions that you may have. So, you know, Kelly made a good point is whatever you're doing, not just from a professional perspective, but also from, from anything you do, any activity, it can all be put together for a good purpose, right? Absolutely, yes. And, you know, speaking of a podcast, I really, really have this closet secret. I think you should. I want my own podcast. <laughs> I think you should. I think you should. I'm, plant- I'm the person, I'm the person who, who is being presented to you to plant the seed. How about that? Isn't that funny? I really, really, really want to. I really want to. And, and here's the thing. My daughter actually has the equipment, but yeah. but I don't, you know, I'm like at the ground floor, I have no clue. And the problem is, I'm, I'm not saying that I won't, because I might. You may hear from me, yeah. but I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to manage learning that new thing in the process of where I'm at professionally right now, because mm-hmm. I'm kind of in a new learning curve there. Yeah. So you have to pick and choose, okay, how much, how much stuff can I actually process in my mind right now mm-hmm. um, and be successful before I take on something else? Exactly. So I'm, I'm kind of in that place, it's trying there. to figure out where, where's the timing out on this, that type of thing. For me, it took, I, I was looking back at my Facebook posts and it, it was like two years ago. <laughs> it came oh, wow. up and says, yeah, should I, should I do like a mini podcast or some type of webinar? What would you want me to do for it? And I'm, I left it at that and nobody answered. <laughs> nobody answered. And I'm like, like well, cricket, cricket. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody knew. So I didn't know either. So that's why I brought it out there. And I think within those two years, I think it, that's when I needed to figure it out. Okay. It was me. Like, you know, you have to figure it out. If nobody knows, then that's good. You know, nobody knows. Then you have to figure it out. And perhaps anything that you figure out is a good avenue. Because anything right now, I mean, right now the podcast is the only one of the few. One of the few. I don't want to say I'm the only one. There are a few. Like the what's his name, Chuck Buck. He has I, you know, his Talk Ten Tuesdays. Um, I recently talked to somebody who has Coffee with the Coder. Uh, there's a couple of them, but they're not. Uh, there's a different avenue that I'm doing uh, in terms of an approach. But maybe within your time, you can figure out. Okay, this is what I'm going to talk about, and you'll be back on this podcast telling me you have this podcast, and we'll talk about your <laughs> your podcast. See, I don't think I want. I don't think I want a podcast that really has much to do with CDI at all, right, no, honestly. Right. No, and yeah. I don't say that because I'm not interested in CDI that's not it I just have so much stuff in me like I don't know that I want to talk about from a standpoint of just believing in yourself because I have overcome so much things so many things 
that I have had, just the way I have navigated crisis in life, um, gosh, I could fill up three weeks worth of podcasts for you, Ryan, on marriage and finance and just so many things that I think people in the next generation coming up behind us, if I had had someone that had walked through those fires already and figured out a way to successfully come out, I would have wanted those tips, honestly. And so I just feel like there's just a wealth of pent up knowledge. <laughs> no, I think that's that's the key, especially. And I, I mentioned this a lot in, in previous uh, episodes. Is um, you know, if you have the content, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I I spoke to somebody. His name is Jeff uh, Jeff White. He has his own podcast. It's called Jeff is Awake, and he does it because he was remote working, and he had no. <laughs> Yeah, he was kind of like, you know, oh in, my you know remote, and he needed a talk. So he created a podcast and eventually he got his wife in it. And now they're, you know, it, it's an outlet for them to speak, talk about what's going on in their life, uh, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of lifestyle. And so, you know, to to I think the point is, if you have the content, find the medium to do it and let it out, you know, no matter what it is. I think that's the point is just to release it and people will find it. People will appreciate it. It may not be in big droves of crowds, but, you know, that's as long as you get it out there. Like you say, you have three weeks worth. Shoot, that's already that's good enough. You know, you can repeat that. Find some more people to talk on, on the on the avenues that you the direction that you want to go to and just keep on continuing. And then I always tell people like yourself, I said, look, if you if you know two people, let me know. And in regards to Dr. Lamhoko, he's already given me like three. So he's continuing to give me more. So, you know, one person leads to two, two people leads, you know, you see how that perpetuates uh, in that motion. Right, right, right. So for sure. So let me let's wrap it up. So um, let, if somebody wanted to do a mission trip similar to yours or in, in any in any fashion, uh, what would they need to do? Or what can they do? Or who do they need to look for? Well, I think, you know, first of all, you need to figure out, you know, what type of mission trip you want to go on. Because if you're a healthcare professional, you may really think the obvious choice would be a medical mission. And maybe it is. You know, that's where I started. And I had been out of clinical nursing for a little while, so I was honestly a little nervous about that because I thought, my goodness, I haven't started an IV in for several years. And so... I'm like, I don't know, you know, I don't want to go over there and use these people as guinea pigs. And so um, it turned out, you know, I had uh, plenty of things to do. In fact, I turned, I ended up being, uh, I did more nursing assistant function because that was the need. I mean, we had plenty of nurses that could stick, that stick in the emergency room, that could plop those IVs in. And, you know, when you don't use a skill for several years, you just hate to practice on somebody unnecessarily. And that's just, so there's stuff you can do. And then, you know, we have, um, people cleaning surgical instruments whatever so you if that's if you're a medical professional you know that may be like i said an obvious choice if it's not there's tons of organizations um that you can research online for uh getting involved with and and you know i'm on instagram if you want to follow me it's at kelly estes k-e-l-l-i-e-s-t-e-s and so i'm posting things fairly regularly and of course um disciples village is certainly going to be a part of our lives um in the coming years, and we can certainly plug you into um, those groups of people. And there's just opportunity everywhere, even all over the country of Haiti. I've actually met people just since we've been down there twice uh, of different groups that are in Haiti doing good work. Um, there's an interesting story that Megan Boudreau is the author of. It's called, um, I believe, 
Miracle on Voodoo Mountain, I believe. Miracle on Voodoo Mountain. Yeah, that's the name of the book. She wrote a book, and she went down there. She quit her job, um, I believe, in a hospital and went down there to Haiti several years back as a single female in her early 20s. And she's still down there. Now she's married, and she's adopted Haitian children, and she has this ginormous ministry that they're doing down there. The book, and I know we're almost out of time, but I cannot, uh, this is an amazing story. She was at dinner with some people back in the United States on one of her times where she come home from Haiti, and she ended up at, she needed this, a lot of money, and she ended up um, at a dinner table with a couple, and he um, ended up writing a check to her for uh, an insane amount of money because that's what that's what she was that's what she needed and and so God worked all the all the moving parts together to where she landed herself um, at the table and um, he wrote he wrote her the check and I believe he is the he has something to do with the founding of maybe the Otterbox for phones I believe maybe is what the book said I can't remember yeah so it was like it was like oh my word so. It's a pretty good book. If anybody's interested in reading, um, yeah, Voodoo on, no, excuse me, Miracle on Voodoo Mountain, that's a good book to give you some insight to the Haitian culture. And that's honestly, when I knew I was going to Haiti, I found the book. And I bought the book on Amazon, and I read the book, and it gave me some insight to really what the people culturally kind of are living in. And, and there is a large, large percent of voodoo worship there. And that's why the place is so dark and oppressed and it's very interesting what you can understand about the situation that country at large is in. And so, uh, yeah, the reason, I mean, of course, Google's our friend. There's tons and tons and tons of organizations, but it can be overwhelming. And I think a lot of times when you go that route, you may think, well, gosh, how would I know? How would I know this organization is better than another organization? And I think that's where the value of word of mouth, people that have actually gone there, people that actually can testify to the fact that this is a good group, these, these people are using their money wisely, you know, just like our sponsorships for these children. There's a lot of uh, sponsorship companies, or I don't know if they're companies, let's say ministries out there, where you sponsor these children over in far parts of the world, and you may or may not be able to put your eyes on them. And I'm not saying that your money's not going to the right place. It is, and I hope it is, may well be. But what I like about this is it's not that far from where I am. I can be there in four hours on an airplane, and I can literally walk into that village, and I can find that child and, and hold her hand if I want to. So there's something very personal about my $40 a month. I can go find these children in that village pretty easily. So, you know, if you're touchy-feely, kind of want that level of involvement, there's opportunity for that. Yeah. <laughs> for the hand-holding and the hugging and the, the affectionate part of uh, That's right. of doing the mission. That's right. If you want to actually touch and feel where your money's going, you can do that. That's nice. All right. Well, Kelly, yep. thank you very much for being part of the podcast. I do have two questions before we wrap things up. Number one, you ready? Okay. <laughs> what I'm does, ready. What, what does the future hold for Kelly Estes? Only God knows. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like know. an appropriate I, answer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, me. I, you know, I really don't know. I, maybe a podcast. I'm hoping I have got so much... Um, you know, I'm still in the field of CDI for sure right now, and uh, and and have you know need a job and, and love it. Don't get me wrong, I, I love that, but my heart. I think you can probably tell from the conversation that we've had, it bleeds through to 
so many other things as well that I'm just I'm, I'm staying I'm staying open and uh, I just uh, I just want to be a, whatever I'm doing I want to do it well and with excellence and uh, I'm just um, right now on track with my uh, profession in CDI um, with my extracurricular service in ministry so we'll just have to see I definitely know I'll be going back to Haiti I know that's not a short-term flash in the pan kind of thing I will be going back consistently um so I'm looking forward to that just seeing where see where the opportunities with that go to awesome and we'll definitely put up the information on uh disciple village ministry on the show notes and so if anybody is interested on that or any other organizations uh kelly will provide me any of the information i'll put it on the on the show notes so that so that way you guys can be linked to it and now my final question is uh you've mentioned a lot of stuff but of course to take it home what final words do you want to share with our audience what are some of the best words of advice you can give okay this is a big question (laughs) okay You got the time. Don't worry. I Okay. I would tell you, if you are in a place that you are so miserable and you just have this voice down inside that there's got to be something more, I would say, listen to that voice. And I would say, be curious as to what that voice is saying and do some legwork to explore what that is and what your next right move is in order to take steps toward that little voice. And I say that from a place of my own convictions because I've had to do that from time to time, and I'm still doing that from time to time. And it usually will lead you to the next place that is going to just drive you more and more and more toward your purpose, I believe. And, and of course, with that purpose comes fulfillment. Um, and I think that's all any of us really want from this life is to try to figure what that figure out what that looks like. And um, I've just been very blessed um, to be able to find my way even into the, the CDI community and to be able to do the work that I've been doing in that way. I've met so many wonderful people throughout the country as I've been able to go into hospitals. And yes, while I'm there to do a professional job, I have always found it very, it's a very important piece to me to to personally engage the people as well. Um, I want to know who I'm working with and I want to know more about them personally. And I think when you build relationships like that, even in the professional environment, your work ends up turning out to be way more successful than if you had gone in and kept it all business. So I think we need to pay attention to our humanity. I think we don't need to get too full of ourselves. And I think that when we're doing our work, I think we need to take pride and do it well. But I think that we we just need to realize that there's there's just so much more um, for us to embrace that I think is very easy to just kind of ignore if we're not careful. So I would say just, just pay attention to that little voice and explore that. So there you have it. That was Kelly Estes. Thank you, Kelly, for being on the podcast. All of the information that we talked about in the episode can be found in the show notes. All you have to do is go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast.
Not Else Were Classified is presented and produced by Medical Coding Geek. Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com So, are you ready? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, just get, let's just get it done. It seems natural to you. <laughs> <laughs>